Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's Matthew 5, 4, King James Version. So, first and foremost, I'd like to welcome you to the Nostalgic Favorites Podcast. I'm your host, Darius Marcel Hagens, visual historian, wellness enthusiast, and the anomaly that no one saw coming. Today is a day that I woke up to this verse and it was fitting, um, all things considered, because today is the fifth anniversary of my mother passing away. Um, So today's episode, I'm entitling this one, You Just Lost One. And I think that everybody has to find a place in their lives where they are able to handle loss, not just loss of people, but um, loss of jobs, loss of opportunities, loss of connections, loss of places, loss of things, all these different things we're able to lose within the course of a lifetime. But specifically with my mom, I felt it's necessary to talk about it with others. I knew that from the very moment this process came to be years ago, that there was something on the other side of it that was bigger than me. I knew that much. Um, To make a long story very short, my mom was battling cancer for pretty much a decade. So from the time I was 14, really I would say about 12, I think that's when it really started when I was in middle school. We didn't really know everything that it was, but looking back on it, I think it started around then. So I spent most of my adolescence and young adult life with the threat of my mother dying, which is challenging. And you don't understand how challenging that is until you see the the story play out. But I spent pretty much at that time over half my life with the threat of her possibly dying. So with her having cancer and it finally reaching stage four in 2016 is when it reached stage four. I'll never forget the phone call that I had with my mom. And it was around May. She called me and she said that the doctor just let me know that I have stage four cancer. And she was very forthcoming. Something that I'm still to this day very grateful for because everybody's not always able to have that some people are very secretive in those moments and some people try to shield you from stuff not realizing that in the long run that actually hurts you more but she was always open and honest about how she felt about things and where she was in the process so she said that I have stage four I'm at the moment on the highest form of chemo that they have available I don't want to have any more surgeries. I really don't want to do any more raw radiation or anything like that. And I remember I sat with that on the phone and I just took it in. And I had to really process what she had just said because in so many words, she just let me know that it was time. If if she wasn't miraculously healed, it was pretty much going to be time for her to go. And that was hard because my first instinct was to try to help and to try to save her and to, you know, I'm thinking eat clean and drink tea, you know, I'm making tea, all this type of stuff. Well, maybe I can make her something, all these different things. And I had to understand that it wasn't about me. That took me being in the process of her being on hospice care for me to really understand that it was no longer just about me. It was very much about what she wanted, what her wishes were and where she wanted to take things with her own life, like that was her choice because she had battled through all these different things throughout the course of her life. So for her to reach this point in her story, it was only fair for her to determine how she wanted that to go. And um, that was in May that I got that phone call, months passed and it was October of of that same year, Uh, one of my sisters, got in contact with me and let me know that my mom was in the hospital and the challenging part of her going to the hospital was she walked in the hospital 
but she was not able to walk out of the hospital. So she wasn't feeling well when she first went in. And once she got in there, the doctors discovered that the cancer had wrapped around her spine. So it was compressing her lower spinal cord, which was preventing her from being able to use her lower extremities. So like I said, she went from walking in and walking and as she always had, she had a lot of different things that have happened to her over the course of years, different surgeries and all this type of stuff. So hip was messed up, knee was messed up, whatever the case may be, she had a cane, but she was always able to walk around and get around and she stayed active. She would always cook, clean or play with my niece or something like that, but she, she stayed moving. As long as I knew her, she was always moving. Um, especially when she was at full health because the demands of her job required her to walk pretty much miles every day because um, she worked at the airport. So she walked the concourses every day back and forth to all the different restaurants that she managed. So that was the first time that I had ever seen her not be mobile. Um, and that was really like the first time where despite all the other times she had surgeries, all the other times she had to go into doctor's appointments and all these things, that it really felt tangible that she wasn't in a place where she may be able to recover. Uh, it was really weird. Uh, you know, she was pretty much like Superman. <laughs> you know, no matter what they did or whatever they threw at her, she was able to bounce back. But I remember sitting there in that hospital room talking to her and then for months prior to that, I knew I was going to go on a fast. And I had just so happened to go on the fast that same week that she went to the hospital. And my spirit was beyond raw. I'm just in the hospital room taking in all this information, which was already a spiritual experience in and of itself. But I was taking in all this information and hearing what's being said and what's what's happening and hearing her and hearing the doctors and hearing the nurses and hearing my family and all these things and there's just so much happening all at the same time and i'll never forget <laughs> Woo, man i remember the doctor walked in who had been treating her for the past several years after her original primary oncologist had moved away she moved to Texas, so she had to get a new doctor. And that doctor was extremely insensitive. That's the only way I can put it without me using vulgar language. He was very insensitive. And I remember he walked in there, he was just casual. And I remember he said, well, Ms. Hagens, you, you probably got about three months to live. Uh, you pretty much did everything we can do for you, so we're gonna put you on hospice care, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And I remember he tried to just walk out the room after he said that, and not that I needed to know, because I, I was able to be mindful enough of what was happening, because me being into health and wellness, I understand medicine, I understand how it really works when you're treating the body and I had seen this process from the time I was 12 all the way up until the point I was 27. So I've been in enough hospital rooms and asked enough questions to understand how cancer actually worked. And I remember I asked him, I was like, well, what, what would happen if my mom went on, a, went on a particular diet that was consisting of nothing but fruits and vegetables and you know a, a very clean diet at this point in time? Do you think it would help her body? And I remember the, the gentleman said, we don't have research on fruits and vegetables. And I remember I looked at my mom and I was like, I, I, I pray that you realize that this person has failed you in this situation because all he cared about were research results. She was on some type of experimental, uh, you know, chemo medicine. And I felt like all he cared about were the results. Like he kept looking at the the case study of the medicine itself and not her actual chart. Cause I remember I told him, I was like, you do realize that every time she gets rid of cancer, it comes back every time you all treat her. And he was like, well, I don't see, I'm like, it's, it's there. I'm like, I'm, I know it's there in the chart if you just read it. But I remember 
her spirit just shifting and it all her she had always had that that fight but it's like when when she lost mobility and that doctor came in and said that and she really couldn't do much like i said she had already made up her mind that she didn't really want to have surgeries or anything else like that she really couldn't even do cat scans because she was claustrophobic in the machine every time she got in there she would have panic attacks so they couldn't really do cat scans to see where things were or how bad it really was at times so you know understanding hospice care it was a that was a process <laughs> um, my siblings and I six of us total and we had to try to come to terms and agreement to to take shifts to make sure my mom was good and uh, that wasn't the most successful of things to say the least but what ended up happening was um, my sister who's right above me she was already my mom's in-home health care tech so to speak um, so she was already coming in and out checking in on her making sure my mom had what she needs taking to the store making sure she was able to get food all that type of stuff so there was that component of it but she had to work during the day so um, I realized that in order for my mom's wishes to be respected of her not going to a nursing home all these things that I had to move in with her so from November until February 3rd I moved in with my mom and went on the journey of a lifetime watching somebody go from the possibility of being better to her accepting the reality that it was her time to transition. And that was something I didn't know I was ready for, but I give my mother the credit of preparing me to lose her. I will forever credit her for that. From the time I was, as they would say, knee high to a grasshopper, she always told me, me and my sister specifically, I'm not always gonna be here. Cause she had us later in life. Uh, she had my sister at 32, she had me at 38. So, my mom was most people's big mama. In fact, she was a big mama by the time she had reached that point. So she had always told us that, and it shifted throughout life, you know, for somebody to be completely healthy and tell you that they are not gonna be here, it doesn't really resonate with you. And once health issues started to come about, you start to think about it a little bit more and then once health issues become cancer, you really start to think about it and surgeries and medicine, and all these things, you start to think about it and you see somebody in a position where they are not themselves, they are a shell of themselves and it really starts to hit. And I remember I had so much fear when I was there with my mom, I really didn't leave the house. I, I distinctly remember the only times I was leaving out of the house was to go to the store if somebody else had come to sit with her or I had a few moments where I went and shot content with my boy uh, Larry <laughs> but we were like right around the corner we were like right outside the house type deal uh, just because I was nervous I remember being so nervous I was afraid to walk into the living room area where my mom had set up had her bed set up all these things I was so afraid to discovered that she had passed away i could not sleep for days and days and days on it i would just wake up walk out check on her look at her you know you do the thing where you check to see if somebody breathing i'm like staring at her i'm like hope she don't look she slept she was a light sleeper <laughs> so it's times she caught me staring at her she's like are you good i'm like i'm just making sure you good just making sure you all right <laughs> um but i remember distinctly I had a moment I was sitting there on the couch and I was trying to work on different things and this was the origins of my business like Nostalgic Forever was very much a baby at this time 
so I'm trying to organize and work from from her house but not really going out into the world so I'm trying to organize what I have and do what I can and I remember God saying you're not asking the right questions and I, I didn't really understand what that meant until I just sat with it and I started paying it I'm like what does that mean and I started to understand that everybody was talking at her and they were afraid to lose her more so than she was being able to express any fear that she may have had from losing her own life. No matter what was happening, she was the person that was potentially dying, no matter how we looked at it. And I started to understand that there was an opportunity there to, to step outside of myself and not worry about my own feelings and stop trying to save her um, and I actually talk about this in the, the intro or the foreword to my one of my books I'm working on which is called T is for time I just talk about the aspect that I I wanted to save her with it but not realizing that her journey would help me help millions of people I was never meant to save her that that was that was my story that wasn't her story that wasn't a story that God had laid out but I, I really was dead dead set on that for so long that I wasn't really being helpful to her. I was combating her wishes, but I reached that point of really learning how to listen. And that morning, I remember I went out there and she had been, oof, my mom had been difficult <laughs> and which I understand like you you you're battling stage four cancer and your body hurts and you can't really eat things and you can't get fresh air you can't go anywhere and do anything you can't you got people changing you people have to help feed you people have to provide your medicine all these things she has all these things happening and I remember I went out there and I asked I was like hey mom I was like, what do you want to talk about? What's on your mind? Like, what do you feel? Like, what's what's going on? Like, where are you in this whole journey? And I remember she looked at me and she said, you know what? I'm so glad you asked me that because nobody's really been asking me that. And that was crazy to me. But that was the revelation that I had gotten where it's like, what, what does it matter what we feel? In that scenario, she is the person going through it more than any of us could, ever could. Nobody could go through that moment but her. So, granted, you may be losing someone that means something deeply to you. But it doesn't mean that your feelings usurp what they feel. It doesn't triumph over their reality at all. That's just the, tr the truth of the matter. And we started talking. We got really, really in-depth into conversation. And she was very honest. And I, I was asking, I did an interview with her and I just asked, I was like, what, what, what's giving you strength right now? Because I've watched you go through all these different parts of life and I've seen you lose so much. At that point, my mom had lost both of her parents, all of her grandparents, multiple siblings, best friends. <laughs> the list just was extraordinary. And I thought about how lonely that had to be. You know, you have your kids, you you have, you know, your grandchildren. In her case, she had to, she had the opportunity to have great grandchildren. But I, I just thought about how lonely that had to be. And we started talking about those things. And I think the most amazing thing that shifted my entire life happened. She said, I don't look at this as a bad thing. I just look at it as a change. And I'll go through this change until the next change comes. 
I still <laughs> legitimately get chills when I think about that. This was somebody battling stage four cancer at the point where you know this is the end of the road. And that's what she said. And it was in that conversation that death became irrelevant to me. I just felt like if I can watch this person who is the strongest person that I know go through this and that's their answer, whatever's in her is in me. That's what I did know. I was like, whatever is right there in your spirit right there, that's a part of me as well. And that's probably why I don't give up and that's probably why I keep pushing. But now you're showing me the level of how deep that fight goes of, or how deep that, that belief that God is in control goes. I, I really, still to this day, I just sit and listen to that interview and that, that part, I don't care how many times I listen to it, it blows my mind. Completely blows my mind. Because what, what I started to discover was that I had all the answers from her that I would ever need. And that was part of the reason why I went through an interview with her and I just asked every question I could think of to ask because I didn't want to leave anything on the table. I just didn't. I didn't want to look back or wake up one day and think about, I wish I would have asked her about this or I wish I would have, you know, got outside of myself enough to just be present with her. And, you know, I remember we were able to start laughing and joking again and, um, you know, that final month before she passed, it was crazy because her spirit has shifted so much that she started to look better. And I remember people would come visit and they'd kind of walk through the door and be like, what's going on? Like, you look good. Like they were shocked that she looked good, you know? But I, I started I started limiting all that medicine and stuff. They was giving her all that stuff. I just was asking her, what do you need? What do you want? Because that medicine and stuff, it had her sick. They had her sleeping all day, and one of her distinct wishes was she wanted to be present. So that's what we did. We just we sat with that, and you know, time was moving so fast, but yet at the same time, it wasn't moving at all. And I think that's part of you know this aspect of saying I make time stop, like. I, I know what that feels like because the birth of my son and the death of my mother, I genuinely was able to feel time differently. Uh, I think those are just soul level events. And that's why you can feel them so deeply and that's why you're able to really take them in in a way that you normally wouldn't with something else. So that's how I know for a fact that's what I do for people. I make time stop because I felt it and I've allow for other people to experience that phenomenon, but for good reasons. Um, but I remember leading up to the days before she passed, I remember she looked me dead in my face. <laughs> and she said, you don't got nowhere to go. I was like, no, what do you mean, go? I'm like, I'm here, where, where would I go? I don't, I don't have anything to do, I've canceled all my plans, I'm here with you. And I didn't understand what she meant in the moment. Now I understand what she meant. And I knew that she was ready to go. But I, I love her so much because she didn't want to do that in front of me. So my fear <laughs> that I originally owned of finding her gone was her fear of me finding her gone. So that was something that existed simultaneously. And part of it was me being there was making her hold on because like, well, she, she cared about how I felt enough to not want to do that. But um, a week before she passed, I remember we were sitting there watching TV and she just got so quiet one day. She just got quiet. But it was a different expression that she had. And I'll never forget 
that expression was was one where she knew it was it was time she knew and she didn't say anything and I didn't say anything I just sat next to her bed I held her hand and we just took in a moment And I remember I was reporting to the nurses that would come from the hospital to check on her and you know make sure she was doing all right, doing their check-ins. And I was doing a really good job because my mom always had said, she was like, you should have been a doctor. And I told her, I'm like, I am a doctor. I'm here taking care of you, I am a doctor. And the hospice nurses were like, you're doing a really good job of reporting things. Um, I was reporting blood pressure. I was reporting sleeping changes. I was reporting um, everything, even down to her memory, all the all those types of things, her recalling information. And they were able to express like, yeah, that means that the cancer spread here. It's doing this. Her body's going through this. It's going through all these different things. So I legitimately knew any day now it could happen. Any day now. And I know a lot of time people think about loss from the standpoint of if you knew it was coming, it would make it easier. And I know that's for people who've lost people suddenly and unexpectedly, and they didn't have the opportunity to have conversations and didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye formally. It does not make it easier. I spent 15 years with the possibility of knowing that my mother could pass away. And when it finally arrived to that time period where there was a reality, it did not help. And I think that is something that everybody needs to understand and learn how to cope before you lose things. If you wait until it's happened in order to develop coping skills and to develop healthy habits of how to get through moments like that, when you lose something of significance, it will overtake you. And there's no guarantee that you will recover. A lot of people that we see in life who are struggling later on in life, they are still battling from a traumatic experience of loss. Whatever that thing may be, like I said, that could be a person, that could be a dream, we talked about dreams, that could be a place, that could be an opportunity, that could be anything, and they don't have the skills necessary to get through it. And the wild part about my life, I had lost so much before then that I did have some level of coping skills. I had never lost someone that close to me. I had lost a lot of family members and lost friends and things of that nature. You know, I'm talking about like actual death. But you have to develop those skills in, a, in the off season. Yeah, because the game of life will make sure that you are front and center for prime time. We'll see what you've been doing. And man, the challenging part of knowing that it's time is to to let it happen i'll never forget it was it was friday friday the third there was a a tv series that i was a part of that we were having a viewing i'll never forget it we were having a viewing for the episodes that we had completed that evening Man, that was the first time I was gonna leave the house in, in a long time. I just remember waking up that day and I was looking at my mom. 
she just had an expression. She was quiet. We have been talking a lot every day. But that last week, she just kept getting progressively quiet. And on that Friday, she was not talking much. So I came out to see if she needed anything. And that's pretty much, that was the routine. I would wake up, check to see if she needed any medicine. I would check to see what she wanted for breakfast, to make her breakfast. She didn't really want too much. She didn't want much. She didn't say much. And when we did talk, it was It was, it was very straight to the point. She... She pretty much knew what the day was. But how do you tell that to somebody? How do you tell them that this is the day? I'm gonna leave today. This is the last day we'll, we'll ever talk in this form. You know, I don't even know how you do that. I have no clue how you do that. But, uh, you know, you, you start to think about what that really means in the grand scheme of everything. You don't really know what that means, you have no idea or how that is or what that feels like to know that today is your last day. I don't think that's something you understand until you're there. And I remember my sister came after she got off work. We would always catch up, you know, I would see how her day was, she would see how my day was. We would kind of pass notes about what was going on with my mom and where she was. And I just kept telling her, I was like, yeah, man, I'm like, mama just, she seems a little bit less responsive today than she normally does. I, I knew I had to just go ahead and go. I had to go so she could go. Was really kind of what it was as I look back at it. Because the first day that I significantly left the house for a time period of more than, you know, 15, 20 minutes. I remember I got on the bus I was maybe, I don't know, probably like 35, 40 minutes into my journey. I was almost at my destination. I remember my sister called me initially. It was like 5.30, 5.45 or so to let me know. She's like, mama wants to go to the hospital. I was like, well, what she wanted to go to the hospital? She's like, well, she just, she just feels like she needs to go to the hospital. Overall, we had we had like two, you know, they kind of give you some hospice passes to if you need, the family needs rest, you can take her to the hospital for a week or so. They'll take care of her so that the family can rest and catch up and kind of catch your breath because it is a lot when somebody's on hospice care. But it was different this time when she wanted to go to the hospital. And before I left out to go to the premiere that I was talking about, I remember I hugged her and I told her I loved her. And she said it back. I'm, I'm so glad she, she still was there enough to do that. But she, 
it took everything in her to get it out of her body. She just didn't have much energy left. She didn't have much strength left. There was so much going on at one time. And I remember I just looked at her. I looked her in her eyes. And I just had to go. So my sister called me that that soon after I left. Uh, that was kind of nerve-wracking because I'm like, well, I'm just now getting here. I know you can't leave the hospital because you're there with her. If I turn around, I'm on the bus and all this type of stuff. It's gonna take me a minute to get back. I'm I was going from deep in North County all the way back down towards you know the Del Mar Loop area. If you understand the St. Louis area, you know that's a decent drive, but also if you're on public transportation, that's definitely a two-hour trip. You know, we talking about there and back, all that type of stuff. So I knew I wasn't gonna be able to get back in time. So I just told my sister to keep me up to date about what was going on. And I remember getting to the premiere, you know, watching the episodes and I really didn't tell anybody for real what was going on. I just didn't. I just wanted everybody to be able to focus. I don't want everybody focused on me and my emotions and all that. Cause there's nothing any of us could do. So, you know, I wanted to celebrate that moment of what we had created and what we had accomplished as far as putting something together. So the only person that I really told what was going on was, was my friend Countess. I let her know because her mom had passed a couple years before then. So I knew it wasn't gonna be many people that would really understand where I was and what I was going through who were present. So, me telling her was just me having somebody who would understand just in case I needed to leave suddenly or I needed somebody to take me somewhere, you know, she would be able to understand that particular moment. And got through maybe, maybe two, three episodes, you know, it was like maybe an hour and a half total that had lapsed by the time I got to the premiere to uh, when my sister called me again. And she was like, hey, mom's not doing well. So by this time, it's like close to eight o'clock or so. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, what does that mean? She's like, well, she's become a little bit more and more less responsive. I was talking to her when we first got here. She was able to respond, but now she's not doing much of anything. She's kind of able to grip my hand and if I ask her questions and she can answer that way but she's not doing much so I didn't really I didn't really know what to do at that point I really didn't I didn't know how to approach that matter what would make it better so to speak um, should I go try to try to rush to the hospital? Should I stay where I was? All these different things. And she was like, "Just you, you're okay. Just stay where you are. I know it'll be a lot for you to try to get back home right now. Just just go ahead and stay. I'll just keep you up to date." So we finished up the premiere part of things. Um, shortly thereafter, that phone call, and we were heading over to Blueberry Hill. I'll never forget. It was my first time actually eating at Blueberry Hill. And I had been there for different shows and all this type of stuff, but I never actually went to go get food. And, you know, I'm in the car riding with Countess. She's just keeping me focused in regards to like staying present. Cause it's like so easy to drift off in that moment. And I'm usually very present. So, you know, we're just conversing about a lot of different things and we finally walk into the restaurant. It's probably like a group of five or six of us that decided to go eat. And we were in the restaurant for maybe like all of five, 10 minutes. And my phone rang again. And I, I always tell any and everybody, I'm like, I knew what that call was. Cause based on the last time me and my sister spoke to the time her just calling me, it wasn't a lot of time that passed. So, 
I did not want to answer that phone call. I'll tell anybody that. You know, in the the mindset of, I guess, if, you know, if I don't answer the phone call, it's not real or I'm just not ready for this moment or whatever the case may be. But my sister, my sister Ebony and I, we have had and still battle so many different things in life because we we grew up with each other. You know, our siblings were older than us, so we were the youngest. So we just, you know, <laughs> had to be ride or die. I was younger, but I was always wanting to be around her and her crowd and her friends because I hated sitting at home most times. Like we were chaotic environments, all this stuff. So I never really wanted to just sit there. I was like, I'd rather ride with you. So that's been ride or die forever. So I knew I couldn't let her go through that moment alone. That was what made me answer the phone. I can't let her battle this moment alone because we've been battling this and so many parts of life together. And when I answered my phone, it was 917. And one thing about us, we all hear each other's tones. We can't lie to each other. So I knew something was up. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, it just happened. And I will never ever forget that moment. I felt the entire world close in. It's like everything around me went complete tunnel vision. All I could see was my phone. It was like the SpongeBob moment, you know? <laughs> when everything gets frantic and hectic in the room and you can only see what you can see. That's what it was. She asked, she was like, you want me to come get you? I was like, oh, I'm good. I don't want you to drive right now. Like that, I just, I didn't think that was safe at all, you know? And I knew I definitely wasn't, I wasn't about to get on the bus. And I was like, I'm just gonna, I just gotta get through this moment. I'm here and I just, I'm, I just need to be here. Wherever, wherever here is, you know? All right, by the time I hung up the phone, it was 9.18. And I had an expression. I'll never forget. Counselor, like, you good? You all right? I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm like, nah, my mom, she, she just passed. And, you know, it's like, We were already like cool before that moment, but like I'll tell anybody legitimately, Countess is one of those people like she'll forever have a place in my heart because she, she was just kind in that moment. Like she was able to be empathetic while sympathizing while also, you know, just pushing me to if you need a moment, have that moment, you know what I'm saying? But but still checking in to make sure I was cool. And I remember we went into that restaurant space. I remember sitting in that booth. It was crazy because everybody was laughing and joking and talking and doing all this stuff. And it was crazy because it was a really good time. But it took me like an hour to get my hearing back. I couldn't hear anything in the room. It sounded like muffled background noise that's really what it sounded like it was the only way to describe it was it sounded like somebody put earmuffs over my ears and I had to try to listen to somebody who was a hundred yards away I couldn't hear anything I'm talking about these people were sitting up 
right across from me at this table, I couldn't hear anything. I don't know what these people said for like an hour. <laughs> I was just in shock. You know, but eventually food came. Eventually <laughs> people started buying a million rounds of shots and all this stuff. And eventually I just I just took a deep breath. And I just realized, I was like, you have to be present. There's nothing you can do to change this moment. The only thing you can do is accept it. And you just have to, you just gotta breathe. That's all you can really do in this moment is just breathe. And that night, I'll never forget that night because it ended up being one of the most enjoyable nights I've ever had. And I think the duality of losing something so important while also gaining things that are important is what, what life is really all about. There are so many things that are gonna happen while so many other things are happening and your ability to maintain them and balance them is gonna determine what you get out of it. And I gained so much wisdom just on that night alone when she passed. I I still remember that night in a way that I go back through the details and still learn from them. And even now I'm able to do this, which is share my story and even after that moment happened the next day I was sharing that story with people and they were just amazed they were just like how are you able to be here and be present when that just happened I'm like I'm just in a different place I'm finding a, a separate piece as they would say and I forever think about all the moments that led up to those moments and what initially was a challenge and what initially was something that was paralyzing to think about became something that liberated me from my fear of death, from any fear of failure or anything of that nature. Because my mom always expressed how proud she was of everything that I was doing and what I was becoming and all the things I had accomplished. So, you know, she let me know that you should just keep doing you. I've always known you were gonna be special, just keep doing you, keep keep going after things, keep, keep trying and keep reaching for your goals because you usually hit them, you usually get them, you usually obtain those things, so keep going. And I think that's where that peace started to come from. And don't get me wrong, I had nights that were so challenging. It took me a long time to cry. Even, even at her funeral, I couldn't cry. Like I was just present. I was, there was so many things going on and you had to process so much information. Judy couldn't really feel it. It was maybe a week or so later and I remember I was at our apartment still because, you know, like I say, I had moved in and um, she she pretty much, you know, had paid the rental for that month. So I was just there. I remember it was, I, my sleep schedule was horrible. I was up extremely, I don't know, early, late, whatever the case. I, I probably hadn't really gone to bed, but I was up watching. It was probably six or seven in the morning. And I'll never forget, I was up watching Barbershop 3. And first and foremost, it's a really good movie. So that's a plug for that. But uh, I'm watching this movie. And in watching the movie, there's so much emotion taking place. I just reached a point where I was really just emotional from the movie. But also, I hadn't released 
all that was just bottled up inside of me. And I remember I cried so hard for an hour straight just by myself. Just in total disbelief of like how all these things had happened and the way they had happened. But of course, releasing that, it helped me to release a lot of the things that I had been holding back for my own sake, for her sake, just trying to be strong for her, trying to be strong for myself, trying to be strong for my family, my siblings, all this type of stuff. And that started the, the journey of now, of knowing that I had to share that with people. I had to. There was no way around it. I had to genuinely share that with people. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm very, very glad that I did share my experience. Because as I told people my story, it was therapeutic to me. It was therapeutic to them. And even now, me telling this story to people is still helps them because I've met so many people who had their parent and then shortly thereafter they didn't and they they were able to express to me what I shared with them helped them and and that's really all you can ever ask for is that you don't let your pain go to waste you don't keep it for yourself. You don't be selfish with it. You share it with other people. And that's what I did. And I'm glad that I did. And I'm glad that I'm doing it now. Because I feel like these are the conversations that did not exist until I had them with my mother in those moments. I just don't remember people talking about this as openly and as freely. And I think that's why when death comes, it rocks people to their core so much. Nobody really ever talks about what really happens when you lose someone that means something of a significant magnitude to you. Nobody really talks about that. And because of it, it's sitting there looming over our lives all the time. And when it happens, you just have a explosion of all these things you don't even know how to express. You don't even know how to articulate. And as long as that's the case, then you're in a position where you're constantly battling and hoping to, uh, boy, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's why I talk about people. That, that was nothing but manifestation. Counselors actually text me in the middle of me talking about this. That's, that's crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. But, um, you know, it's, it's necessary because our lives are but a nostalgic forever. There are endless stream of memories we'll return to never. We're going to go through so much and not be able to go back to those moments to physically touch them. So how we handle them in the moment is what they are. That's really what it boils down to. That's what they are. They're what we make them in the moment. I do believe that you can learn from them post and process information different and gain new perspective but in reality what you do in those moments is what they are that's what they will be remembered as and I hope that somebody is able to hear this and start on a on a journey of really learning how to cope with what has happened what is happening and what is to come that's what I, I I pray more than anything, that you are able to gain that level of understanding and that level of wisdom now so that when things do come, you handle them with grace, with class, with power, with dignity, with intelligence and handle them with your bearings so that you don't add to the chaos and add to the confusion that comes when you do lose something, when you lose a pillar in your life. And I say that when my mom 
passed away, it, I'll, I'll tell anybody, it felt like a river stopped pouring into my soul. I could feel it. I still feel it. I've gained new rivers and new streams and new oceans of things, but you never know how important something is until it's not there. And that pour is something that you you do long for. There are days where you long for it. But I I just have what she gave me. So I in losing one I gained so much more. I don't get to be sad for long because I have my answers. I know that we, we were in a good place. We were in such a good place. I was proud of her, she was proud of me. I loved her, she loved me. And I was there for her, she was there for me. I think that's what life is all about. You know, we don't know when anything will come or go including our own lives. So we have to cherish every moment of it and allow ourselves the opportunity to experience it fully when it's there, when it's in front of us. So five years later, I get to say that first and foremost, I made it through this conversation Hallelujah to that. But I also get to say that I have found a place of peace, which I'm grateful exists. I'm thankful that that opportunity to go through all the stuff that I went through leading up to that moment happened because I handled it the certain way that I did because I, I was going through things and I had so many things happen. So I'm forever grateful that I was able to have that moment. That moment changed me forever in the best of ways. And I live my life differently because of it. So I'm forever grateful to my mother. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to God for keeping me. That was so many times that it would have been easy to lose my mind. To lose my mind, to lose my purpose. And to, to lose my heart I think that was Something that was Very hard to battle with Because there were so many things happening And so many Reasons to be angry And to point fingers And to To um, To not be responsible With my emotions That was part that was most difficult having to try to be responsible when other people are not being responsible in situations and you're dealing with the hardest things that you've ever dealt with but when you use these types of moments to your advantage they grow you for the better so you have to reach a place where you're willing to lose everything in order for you to really gain what, what God has for you. When you reach that place, that's when everything comes to you that you need. You can't let it be about, I want this because I want this. This is mine, so I'm gonna keep it. This is mine, so I'm gonna, I've always had this, so I'm gonna do it this way. It's like, no, you gotta be willing to shift. And if you are willing to shift and willing to grow, then you have a unique opportunity, a very unique opportunity. And I'm grateful to say that you can have better on the other side of it. You really can. So I hope this helps someone And I hope that you, you grow stronger and better from this moment. And if you think it will help someone else, share it with them as well. 
you know, be willing to share with somebody else. This is a longer episode. I did not think that I was going to talk for this long, but I did. <laughs> so, it's okay. I feel like this episode needs to be a little bit longer. So, yeah. Keep pushing. Keep going. And know that everything will be okay. I know that a lot of people have experienced loss, especially in the world that we're in now. With with all these things taking place. All this death taking place. Around us because of illness and because of the current state of the world. But we got to keep living. We got to keep living. Our God is the God of the living. So there's still more to be done if you have life in your body. That's as simple as I can put it. So this has been the Nostalgic Favors Podcast. Episode 2. You just lost one. But I hope you gained something new instead. I'm your host, Darius Marcel Higgins. Visual historian, wellness enthusiast, eternal optimist, and the anomaly that no one saw coming. I pray that you go forward and continue looking at life through the lens of legacy. I'll catch you later. Chasing for things that don't matter If tomorrow comes, but we never make it